Like joining us in progress here on KPFK Los Angeles. Hi, hello, and howdy. Michael Benner with Intervision now till 2 o'clock this afternoon. Intervision, a program about spirituality and health, a program about metaphysics and mysticism, the development of consciousness, self-realization. I like to say who we are and what we're for. That's one of my uh, ways of explaining this program. Who are we and what are we for? And sort of the deeper motives and identities behind the reasons why we think and feel and do the crazy things that we do. Thanks for joining us here and uh, sticking around after the news on KPFK. And I hope you can hang with us for the whole hour today. We will be taking telephone calls a little bit later in the program, probably after the midway break. And uh, as I think about it, I don't really have any announcements other than I want to tell you about the podcast. I spent some time talking to a lot of people about We've been podcasting this Friday Intervision show for nearly a year now, I think even a little more than that. And there's still a lot of confusion. People say, no, I don't bother to get that, Michael, because I don't have an iPod. Well, let me tell you that a podcast is not dependent upon an iPod or any other kind of pocket-sized player. Uh, A podcast is like a broadcast. It's a way of delivering programming. Uh, Broadcast comes off like this radio station you're listening to, a radio antenna. And uh, the podcast goes right onto your computer. Everybody's downloaded files. Podcast is just the file downloads itself right onto your computer. If you want to listen on your computer, you can. If you want to mirror it on a portable player like an iPod, you can. But um, I think the smart thing is, because we got bumped a couple of weeks ago, um, and so I (laughs) I can't say we're always going to be here, but I can say the podcast will always be there. So I just want to encourage you. It's free. Just go to the iTunes Music Store, type in my name, and uh, subscribe with a single click of the mouse. Couldn't be easier. Couldn't be more fun. Then you can listen to this program anytime you want. Another good way to get the podcast to this program and several others on KPFK is to go to the radio station website, kpfk.org. 
And we archive all these programs as streaming audio, as downloadable files, and as podcasts. So I think if uh, you're really intimidated by it all, just find a 12-year-old to set you up. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my, my texts are all teenagers. They're, they understand it. They grew up with it. But it's no big deal. All right. Uh, you can call programs podcasts, but we like to think of it as a verb, as in two podcasts. So let us just put it on the computer for you. And then whether we get bumped, uh, uh, we had, we, you know, the fun drive went long. We had a guy who's was, was, well, I don't even want to go into it. Herbal, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it's another story for another day, but you can always rely on the podcast. So there you go. Want to get you clear on what that's all about. Check it out at the kpfk.org website and uh, take advantage of these uh, wonderful alternatives okay, to broadcasting. Well, I want to introduce my guest for the day today. He's the author of at least two books that I know about, and he's been with me before. I interviewed him first about 20 years ago on a, another commercial radio station that uh, shall remain unnamed. <laughs> from another time and another life and a, another era. Ronald Reagan was president. He was indeed. Yeah, I remember it was. And I had hair. And we thought those were dark days. And you <laughs> had hair, right? And uh, then uh, I think Phil was in here a couple of years ago talking about road signs, one, one of his more recent books, now available in paperback. So I thought we'd talk about uh, his book, Road Signs, and also about the intuitive edge, his first book, and a book that really caught my attention, and and I must say, uh, it caused me to have, and, and I continue to have, great respect for this man. I think he's a great writer, and I highly recommend his books, and it's a privilege, really, to have him back on the radio today, live in studio, Phil Goldberg. Hello, Phil. Hey, Michael. Good to be back with you. Welcome to KPFK and Intervision, and uh, you don't need hair. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you. <laughs> you know, if you got it, flaunt it. If you don't, it just yeah. means you got something else that the people That's with right. hair don't have. That's right. Okay. Maybe it's an intuition. Uh, <laughs> you know, before we talk about these two books, I'd like to get a sense of, uh, you're, you're so knowledgeable and you're so well studied in this field. I know you're an author, obviously. You have books here, but you're more than that. Uh, uh, how did you get into this whole field Wow. Is it for you more psychological than philosophical or more philosophical? Or? Well, they, they all blend and overlap. For me, you know, I was a child of the 60s or a young adult of the 60s. And um, in sometime around 1966, 67, I started seriously searching for answers to the big questions that weren't being answered in college or in any of the uh, standard uh, sources of wisdom that we turn to in the West. That led me to uh, the teachings of India and, and the mystical teachings of, of all the, what we think of as the wisdom traditions, first of the East and then all of them. And so back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, I my first stop was I became a, a teacher of transcendental meditation. I was 
deeply involved with that organization really? for so years. That was your entry point. That was yeah. Well, no, I was I did some Zen practices and things like that prior to that. Oh, but that was my first serious involvement. I, I was one of the early TM teachers and spent uh, several years in the 70s uh, teaching meditation and working for that organization, and then uh, became a writer uh, in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s, and um, broadened my spiritual uh, repertoire and my searches, so I became more of a uh, kind of eclectic, independent uh, teacher drawing from whatever worked for me. I always think of myself as a pragmatic mystic. Ah, that's a nice... uh I, I, I believe, you know, very strongly in the development of consciousness. So you could look at that in psychological terms. You could look at it in spiritual or religious terms. And the mystical traditions, which I think of as a very uh, practical because they, they deal with um, actual techniques and practices that you can do and measure and see the results of and, and pick and choose what works for you and what doesn't. So that, that's been my orientation to self-development and to higher consciousness Tools all these years. Yeah, yeah, I've just been always very practical. So in your private practice, how do you describe yourself? In my spiritual practice, you mean? Or my practice as a spiritual counselor? Yes. Yes. So I I do spiritual counseling. I'm an interfaith minister. I was ordained a few years ago and started, uh, in addition to my work as a writer, to do private uh, spiritual counseling and the occasional workshop and lecture, uh, like the workshop I'm doing a week from Sunday in in Westlake, which we can mention later. Yeah, um, so you just did. I just did. And we'll mention it again. <laughs> we'll, give, we'll give the details there. So West Westlake uh, Church of Religious Science, and um, and so I I do I have a, a private spiritual counseling practice and I do workshops and seminars and. And my orientation is to help people develop their spiritual life in in a way that uh, is appropriate for them at that time. I, I believe very strongly in in uh, people uh, taking uh, charge of their own uh, personal development and having the tools they need to um, move ahead and and do what's appropriate for them at any given stage on their their journey and so that's my orientation is to help people regardless of their path um, or the teachings they follow or the traditions they're in let's talk about the wisdom traditions a bit because uh, again my background as a journalist uh, I thought that I was a pretty knowledgeable fellow for Especially those early years, you know, as you mature, you realize how little you really do know. That's <laughs> one of the aspects things. of maturity, yeah, isn't it? I think that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is what you know you don't know. Uh, but I didn't think that, or I'll say it in this way, I guess what little philosophy I had in high school and college led me to believe that philosophy was sort of a bunch of really bright guys who all all had their own individual take on the nature of reality and that there was no consensus. Then I began to find the wisdom traditions Mm. and that, wait a minute, uh, a Rosicrucian has a lot to say to a Buddhist, who has a lot to say to a Sufi, who has a lot to say to a shaman, to a Kabbalist, and uh, and these Eastern yoga traditions that you talked about. And that even if we go back to... oh. Blavatsky, 
all right, in, in the late 19th century and the founding of what's called theosophy, there were 13th and 14th century theosophists in Europe who mm-hmm. were aware of mm-hmm. yoga hundreds of years ago. And, and they say even Pythagoras traveled to they do say Hindustan. That. Yeah, and yeah. Maybe Jesus studied Buddhism. And, and so do you think that, uh, or, 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 or what do you think? I'll say it this way. <laughs> what do you think of the, the, the burgeoning sense of, yes, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, what th- that, that happens to be, according to some surveys, the fastest growing category of religious life. It's a new category, but a very a fast growing one. And I think that, you know, there's, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon because people, uh, have, first of all, that there's a distinction made in the common vernacular between spiritual and religious is interesting in itself because that that wouldn't necessarily have been done in in, in the past. Um, and what people usually mean by that, by saying they're spiritual but not religious, is that they have a profound respect for their own inner life and they pay attention to it and they seek to grow in, in what they call a spiritual way, meaning, you know, to, to connect to something bigger than themselves, some universal forces or higher intelligence, however, however they may define it. But they don't necessarily identify with or participate in a, a mainstream religious Tradition. They may be eclectic and independent. They may dabble. They may pick and choose from different sources. Uh, but they don't attend to the usual, what we think of as religious worship, you know, going to churches and, or synagogues or observing holidays and so forth. And they, they don't necessarily feel an allegiance to any particular tradition. Now, there's a downside. To, to that kind of exploration, of course, and I talk about it a lot in road signs. Uh, and of course, there's an upside. The upside being you can, you can carve out, you know, an independent path that works for you. The downside being that you can, you can be a dilettante and never go deeply into anything. Uh, but that's a, an interesting phenomenon, and it's only been possible because of the advances in technology and communication that have put at our fingertips all these incredible sources of both ancient wisdom uh, and contemporary knowledge from uh, the sciences and psychology and, and comparative religion and, and sources like that. I mean, you can go on the web now and in an instant have at your disposal, you know, a dozen or 20 translations of the Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita or the Dhammapada or any of these things. And I, I remember in the late 60s living in Cambridge, of all places, and not being, I mean, you had to go really run around to esoteric bookstores to find these things now. Now they're available at your fingertips. So people are taking advantage of that and looking for uh, sources of knowledge and wisdom where they can find it. And so the mystical, what we thought of as mystical traditions, particularly of the East, have become uh, sources of practical consciousness uh, expansion and consciousness growth. But, but, but given that this is burgeoning, and the liberating aspect of that, the idea that the master that we follow may be in our own hearts, and that that doesn't preclude a need to study. Certainly not. Or and to have teachers. No, and, and there are people who 
think that this spiritual but not religious thing and people who are uh, eclectic and independent are doing themselves a disservice. And, and as I said, some of them might because they may not go deeply into anything. But it's not as if they're making it up. Sometimes people accuse them of sort of making up their own religion. No, they're not. They're looking for sources of information and wisdom and practices uh, from people who know something they don't know. So they're reading books and they're going listening to you and they're coming to hear me or Deepak or Ken Wilbur or any of these people who speak to them. And so it's not as if they're ignoring teachers. And they're looking a, for teachers. And there is a consensus. When we meditate, when we, <clears throat> well, uh, I think in my life, I think about the three aspects for me are study, mm-hmm. read what you can, go to the seminars, pick the brains of guests like you and so on, and the hearts and so on and so forth. There's study, there's meditation mm-hmm. and its many forms and contemplation. And then, of course, the nature of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And if we work in all these areas, you we do arrive. It, it changes us in, in yeah, a way. We, we we become more refined somehow. And, well, and I think that what you're looking at are sources of personal transformation, and and one of the reasons people have turned away from mainstream religion, not that they're necessarily turning away from it, because the mainstream religions can serve a very important functions in people's lives for tradition and community and a way of orienting yourself to the world and Fellowship. so forth. All of that. Yeah. But there's two aspects of religion that traditionally uh, came into play that have kind of been lost in, uh, to a large extent. And one of them is personal transformation, that, that the, the, you know, the participation in a religious or spiritual tradition should put you on a path of constant ongoing growth and transformation so you become bigger and better and deeper every step of the way. And the other is transcendence, to to transcend this small ego that we think of as ourselves and identify with something bigger, something universal, something, you know, that some traditions call God, some people, you know, call higher power or spirit. And and so the people who are uh, conscious of this higher purpose in life are are finding sources of transformation and transcendence wherever they can find it, whether it's a yoga studio or a Kabbalah workshop or uh, a shaman or uh, a meditation class or whatever. And in addition to what um, the elements you mentioned, I would add that some people are drawn to uh, what we think of as worship or, or a ce- celebration of... Uh, Ritual, you know, and, ritual ceremony. and ceremony yeah. and that sort of thing. And some people are, are drawn to service, to, to, to what in, uh, in the East would be called karma yoga right. and, and to uh, selfless service for, for some, uh, larger causes. All of these, you know, aspects of personal transformation, you know, people uh, find their way to as needed and, and draw from sources of expertise wherever they can. It was a big hit for me personally. And again, I'm not saying that the idea I'm about to put forth is carved in granite. I'm not bringing this down off Mount Sinai, but again, as a as a student, um, you're talking about transformation and transcendence. Uh, I think of that word that, especially in the Christian community, redemption mm. or even resurrection, mm-hmm. 
maybe if we would just loosen our grip a little bit and instead <laughs> of thinking this of this as this one shot when you die <laughs> yeah. maybe if you were good enough you're going to go to the good place not the bad place we could look at redeeming if you will every fear every anxiety all of our ignorance i mean what religious people call sin I think that's a real judgmental term. That's a heavy it's term. Come to be. To be, yeah. Uh, somebody once told me, "Oh, that just means to miss the mark." That was the original, uh, like, oops. linguistic uh, or the linguistic origin of the word sin. And I can't remember the exact uh, etymology, but it it meant it was an archery term for missing the mark. You know, I, re- I think it's Jacob Bomo, or it might have been Master Eckhart, who was found a Catholic priest in the Middle Ages found guilty of heresy for saying, you should never wish that you had not sinned, for how else could you learn? And the church went crazy. I can imagine. And we're about to execute this Jesuit priest. And, of course, he fooled him. He died before they could execute him. But that was, he was found guilty of heresy for suggesting that there was such a thing as an, that sin could be just uh, uh, an accident, that that we're not consciously succumbing to a temptation. And, and, so and that we that, need to engage in self-flagellation instead of self-improvement. Yeah, and, cut ourselves some slack. And, and <laughs> if, if the intention, that's a word I really like, yeah, you yeah. know, it's like, Mommy, I intended to be a good little boy. Right. God, I'm intending to do my best. Well, one of the reasons I was always drawn to the East was they framed these things as errors of ignorance as opposed to, you know, the sort of sinful transgressions that induce guilt and, and shame. So that, you know, the, the answer to, to self-improvement would be to rise above ignorance, to, to, to gain knowledge and, and, uh, as, as opposed to, uh, the kind of self-flagellation that some of the Western traditions have succumbed to. And it could even be literal. There have been periods in history where people literally flagellated themselves, not just Christians but other religions too. And Now let me ask you another question. By the way, if you're just joining us, uh, my guest is Phil Goldberg, Philip Goldberg. He's the author of a couple of books, The Intuitive Edge and more recently Road Signs on the Spiritual Path. And you have on the title of this book, uh, Road Signs, uh, living in the heart of paradox. Yeah. I love paradox. Yeah. Well, good. Because <laughs> you're immersed in it whether I, you like it I, or not. I am, but tell me, why Why is paradox, or living in the heart of paradox, even, <coughs> even more to the point, in the heart and soul, in the center of yeah. paradox, part of being on any spiritual path? Um, first of all, I have to give credit to Rumi for the subtitle. It's from a poem of his, Living at the Heart of Paradox. Uh, so I, I borrowed the term for the subtitle of the book. But um, the, or the reason it's there is when I was researching the book that became Road Signs on the Spiritual Path, I was talking to people who are serious about their spiritual lives from a wide variety of paths and traditions, asking people the question that has you know, sort of consumed me ever since the 60s, which is how to live an authentic spiritual life and still be fully engaged in the world with all of its 
craziness and its joys and its sorrows and its challenges and so forth. How do you really live a, a spiritual life of transformation and person and growth of consciousness without you know escaping to a monastery or an ashram and what i found is that everybody faces certain challenges and certain issues just keep coming up in our lives and regardless of our paths and they take they took certain they Theme, certain themes started to develop. So the structure of road signs on the spiritual path was built around these issues. And then I saw that uh, in, in virtually all instances, they boil down to paradox. We would find contradictory teachings, ambiguous messages, and we would come to these forks in the road where we had to make a choice about our spiritual life. And it would be um, not clear what what direction to go, and you get contradictory advice, contradictory uh, teachings, and so forth. And I began to realize that paradox is the very nature of being embodied on this planet. You know, we are just by nature, we are spirit, and yet we we're bodies. We're universal in the sense that we're all one, and yet we're each individuals. And, you know, and then there's on the level of the choices we have to make, uh, we run into paradoxical situations and forks in the road where, and, you know, and as Yogi Berra once said, if when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> well, well, how do you take it? Which yeah. way do you go? You know, and, and so. It's a candy mint and a breath mint. Right. And yeah. that's right. And so, yeah, it's, and so. That became the structural sort of theme of the book, and so I talk about uh, the various paradoxes that people on a spiritual path face and the the kind of sub-issues that come under all the, these paradoxical situations. And and so to me, living at the heart of paradox is, is a wonderful a metaphor for accepting the paradox, accepting the ambiguity and the uncertainty of it all with joy. And with anticipation of, you know, growth and development. And at the same time, confronting the very real issues that we have to make choices about. So that's the mystery and mysticism. Well, that's one of it, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I trained a fellow years ago to replace me in a talk show format. And I said, I don't have a whole lot to tell you because you're going to learn through trial and error. But one thing I'd like you to know is that you don't have to have all the answers. All you need are good questions. And that, to me, is part of the the love of paradox, mm -hmm. is to be sort of easy and even graceful and elegant with contradiction. That's right. That's and right. not to be in such a rush to pigeonhole everything and categorize everything and to, to get all our ducks in a row. It's yeah. okay if there's a couple of ducks that are in contradiction with <laughs> yeah. some of the others. And you off, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make when they run into choice moments in their lives where there's ambiguity or uncertainty is this anxiety to find closure quickly. Because sometimes, you know, the universe and your awareness just needs to rest in the uncertainty of it all for a while before it becomes obvious. The next step becomes obvious or clear or the insight arises. Anybody who's 
in a creative profession, anybody who does creative work, whether it's writing or music or art or anything, anybody who's ever run into uh, places in their in their create creative work where they're not sure what the answer is or what the next step is, it could be in a laboratory for a scientist or whatever, knows that. If you rush to closure, you're going to, you know, shut the door on higher creativity. That's, by the way, a big point in the Intuitive Edge, which you mentioned earlier. When I was researching that book, your first all book. those, it wasn't actually my first book, but it's the first one first we one talked I knew about. about. Yeah. yeah, okay. And um, there's something in in the research on creativity uh, called incubation, and uh, all the, you know, creative breakthroughs can't be rushed. And they often come when you least expect them. And so you do the preliminary work and you sit with the uncertainty and you take a break from the uncertainty and the, you know, the lack of answers. And then it allows your subconscious to work on it. One of my favorite terms for growth is a philosophical term, unfoldment. Mm. Some dictionaries don't even have unfold, have unfold as a verb, but unfoldment mm. uh, reminds me of our buddy Hegel and that these dichotomies that have become so popular in the mm. Orwellian newspeak of the Bush-Cheney area, uh, it's always this or that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there are always these false dichotomies. And now these guys, um, their, their talking points, their office of perception management, uh, their... Um, their mouthpieces and pimps on the radio, Hannity and Bill O'Reilly. These guys know to push these false dichotomies. And it is so antithetical to understanding and wisdom to say, wait a minute, like, like Buddha talks about the middle way. Mm-hmm. And his whole enlightenment came out of, wait a minute, it's not, well, what was the story? The string is too loose, it will not sound. The mm-hmm. string is too tight, it will break. The lute player. Mm-hmm. And so Buddha goes, oh, middle, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and this whole idea of, again, Hegel, you have a thesis, and then somebody argues with it, the antithesis. But out of that comes understanding, a synthesis. And sometimes something higher that could not have been um, arrived at without the the opposing forces. Without the adversity, and, and with it, right, without what seems to be a, a conflicting ideas that, and that's what paradox is. They seem to be contradictory ideas, but living at the heart of it for a while, right. and being with it, and being patient with it, and open. Right. I mean, one of the things that happens is sort of like life is like a one big Zen koan. You know, it it just presents you with uncertainty and paradox all the time. One of my my screensaver on my computer is an old Zen saying that says, life is not what it appears to be, nor is it otherwise. John Lennon, reality leaves a lot to the imagination. That's another one of mine. An old John Lennon coin. <laughs> and so, but the whole purpose of it is to be with it. And then something arises that transcends the easy answers. And, then and that, I think we're in a situation in, in, in the world right now where life is so complex and so uh, filled with uh, chaos and, and change and the, everything that you cannot look at it in the same categories that we 
that we're so, we were so comfortable with yeah. in in the past. Einstein wasn't it who said you can't solve the problem with the same mindset. That's that right. You used to create the problem, but Hegel's point also was that this unfolding. Okay, we have a statement, a thesis, a belief system. Somebody argues with it. Uh, often it goes to the extreme, especially as personal anxiety builds. We get more into fight or flight, you know, uh, stay the course or cut and run, love it or leave it. Mm. We know all those political versions of it. But the synthesis that comes out of it then becomes a new thesis and the process is repeated. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. That's You can see... The divine unfolding itself. That's right. That and way. that's how knowledge evolves and solutions evolve into higher form. And, and I think we need that. And as long as you brought this up, if I could plug something, um, given the condition of the, of the world, a lot of my colleagues who are, uh, spiritual teachers or leaders of one kind or another, you know, at a certain point, you start to realize that a lot of what's going on in the world requires a spiritual dimension of solution as well as uh, political and, and social and technological and so forth. So the question arises, you know, how do you bring a spiritual dimension to the usual uh, social and political dialogue, which, can, as you said, tends to get polarized. It's like left and right and liberal and conservative. And sometimes you just say these categories don't make sense anymore. We need to go beyond that and we need to go deeper and we need to, you know, expand our consciousness. So, um, I would, I would invite your reader, your listeners to, to go to something we, we just put up on the web. It's, it's kind of work in progress, but it's a prototype that's up there now. Uh, it's www.globalspiritualcitizenship.org. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you click on the button that says the call it's something we came up with that's an attempt to start a dialogue that includes the spiritual dimension as we you know address the problems that we face as a common humanity well you mentioned that paradigm of unity and diversity of the one in the many mm-hmm. as it used to be called as above so below and yet look at the paradox are we one thing yes and are we unique and diverse yes, yes. and the paradox is at the heart the 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 center point, if you will, it may not be the 50-yard line, but it's somewhere in between those two, some permutation or combination that 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 makes it all good. And I, I I just thank God for this concept for Hegel and Buddha and these guys that, and and even the Masons, their idea of the pillars in the mm. Tree of Life mm. is, represents these extremes and these boundaries. It's like football is not played in the end zone. <laughs> you know, that, you're out of bounds when you're in the zone, right? And so extremes are not where we find yes, truth. Yes, and, and, and we now in an age where extremism and fanaticism is an, ex- an incredibly dangerous forces out so. there on, on all levels. And we're all, but we're also in an age where because of the information that's available and the awareness that's developed in the last 40, 50 years, uh, where you can say, use terms like our oneness. And it, it's not weird yeah. because, you know, especially young people, you know, they've grown up in this globalized world when they go to school with people of all ethnicities and nationalities and religions and so forth. And, uh, and our common humanity and our common oneness with nature is not 
some ooga booga fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's a reality that people can can now step into and, yeah. and find solutions on the basis of. I get spam in forty different languages. <laughs> Philip Goldberg is my guest. This is InterVision on KPFK. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. And take your telephone calls, too. We're talking about Phil's most recent book, Road Signs, Living on the Spiritual Path and at the Heart of Paradox, and an older book but a wonderful book called The Intuitive Edge and the nature of intuition, those thoughts that arrive full-blown. Where do they come from? Already thought out, just bursting into your awareness. Maybe we'll... Have a little time to talk about that too. And Phil's got a workshop coming up that we're going to tell you about too. So stay with us. We're here till two. If you'd like to call and talk to Phil, if you have a question, 818-985-5735. 985-KPFK in the 818 area code. And we'll be right back after this. KPFK and your very own radio for all of Southern California. People-powered KPFK 90.7 on your FM radio. Out of Santa Barbara County, we're at 98.7 FM, and of course, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. And as I said at the top of the show, let's get on board with the KPFK archives and uh, streaming, downloadable, and of course, podcasts too. Got to get with us. It's got nothing to do with iPods. It's just a way to get these programs put on your computer. And uh, we did a count the other day. It looks like there's currently only about 4,000 people listening to the podcast of this Friday Intervision show. I say only 4,000 because I know it can be a lot more than that. So, again, if it's confusing, do it anyway. Just go to the <laughs> – this is no big deal. You push a button and it's on your computer. You don't need a – Portable iPod player to listen in. You can listen on your computer. And then we can be, imagine how democratic if we all get to do radio shows and don't have to have a radio station to put us It'll on the air. It'll come to that, won't it? We'll yeah. all have our own radio We'll all, have our own, as we'll it all be, be Larry King. <laughs> as it should be. <laughs> Philip Goldberg is my, uh, my guest. And in addition to a book you wrote called Intuitive Edge, which is when I first met Phil about 22 years it ago. It was published in 83 or 4. You know, something like that. And I was just stunned at the knowledge that this fellow has. And then Road Signs came out a couple of years ago. It's now available in paperback. What are some of the other road signs of being on the spiritual path? How do we find our way on the spiritual path at the heart of paradox? Well, the book has... 26 chapters, and I and and they each um, address a particular issue that people on a spiritual path have to uh, wrestle with at one point or another. Um, and so they range from this issue of teachers, as you said before, where the paradox is, you know, you you want to be independent and autonomous, and at the same time, none of us can do it alone. So you're sort of on your own, but you can't do it alone. And that's one of the paradoxes. So where do you, how do you deal with the need for teachers, the need for companions, perhaps the need for spiritual or religious institutions, and yet retain your autonomy and your right to think for yourself and so forth? And find a teacher that encourages that. And find a teacher that's right for you at any right. given moment in your, in your life. Um, how do you find a balance between exploring all the options that are out there uh, and going deep into one or two or some of them, given the lack of time and, and so forth? How do you keep yourself from being bamboozled by 
you know, charlatans and, and so forth. And then there's issues like what about your body, you know, the, the physical health and, and the uh, which a lot of spiritual people tend to ignore at their at their peril. Uh, and yet some of the teachings encourage that and some of the teachings you know, make the body the temple of the soul. Mm-hmm. So where do you put that? Where does sex fit into living a spiritual life? Your, your initial and your intimate relationships, uh, work, money, all these issues come up along the way and, and issues having to do with, uh, what we think of in, in psychology as the shadow side of life, all of our little neuroses and quirkiness and weirdness. Do we, how much attention do we put to, uh, on those or do we aim just at the, at the transcendent and, and ignore, you know, the kind of self-improvement that psychology provides? Where do you find the balance between these things? How much should we uh, apply diligence and perseverance and, and hard work to our spiritual lives and how much of it really has to do with just lightening up and accepting what is? Let me ask you a question that just occurred to me. It's sort of off the wall, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. I watched a movie the other day. I think it was called Thank You for Smoking. Oh, yes. Do you know the film? I did. I think William I Macy is in it. and It's like, um, <clears throat> for those who haven't seen it, it's sort of a satire on the way, on spin, but especially with the cigarette industry, the tobacco right. industry, so that they could take a campaign and say, are you kidding? We're spending $50 million telling your kids not to smoke cigarettes. And what we don't <laughs> hear... <laughs> is that it doesn't matter if they teach you to smoke or teach you not to smoke. That, and, and let me put it in a question form. Do you think that we have a death wish? Oh, my. Do you think that when we do things that we know aren't good for us, whether it's overeat, whether it's driving crazy on the freeway, and that's become very common now, 100 miles an hour isn't fast enough for some of these people, I've become the fuddy-duddy that I used to honk at. We're only going 80 uh, in the slow lane, and that's not fast enough. Uh, Smoking cigarettes. Uh, I interviewed a fellow years ago who wrote a book on subliminal advertising, and he said, oh, he said, the subliminals in tobacco and alcohol ads aren't subliminals that you're going to enjoy yourself. They're death masks and skulls and screaming banshees because these people really want Hmm. to kill themselves. Hmm. Nobody's probably ever asked you this, but from a spiritual point of view... Is there a death wish in most uh, of that's us? That's uh, you know I I I'm going to just say I don't know. Um, and the the concept of a death wish is a, is you know a, a psychological term that and I'll leave it to uh, the the psychoanalyst to to say whether that thanatos is you know real or just a construct. All I know is we certainly have a life wish. We certainly are oriented toward growth and toward more fulfillment and to more happiness and to more joy and to more love. And that is the compelling urge that drives all of us. Maslow 
framed that for, you know, in, in psychology as this hierarchy of needs and this urge to self-actualization. When he said, you know, we're, we're like, like an acorn needs to, has no choice, is compelled to grow into an oak. I think we're all compelled to become more of what, of the best in us. So if we get sidetracked and think that happiness is going to come from smoking a cigarette or eating ourselves to death, that's a function of ignorance and perhaps of uh, what? Uh, uh, Imbalanced physiology and lack of awareness and so forth. But the urge is always toward greater happiness and greater fulfillment, even if we get sidetracked. Even the shadow side, you don't think? I think that's the nature of life. It's It's the nature of the the evolutionary impulse to grow and expand and become more of of what our potential is. So we're back to paradox that if there is a death wish, it would probably be part of a larger good thing. One would think. Okay. Well, I hope so. <laughs> now, put out that cigarette. Um, let's take I'm some still coughing from the cigarettes I smoked in the 60s. In the, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I had a physical the other day. The doctor said, do you smoke? And I said, well, not in 30 years, but yeah. he he knew. Uh, I thought I saw, well, we've got, yeah, here we go. Okay, let's take a couple of calls. If All that's right. Okay. My guest is Philip Goldberg, and let's go to Temple City. And Nick, you're on KPFK and Intervision. Hiya, Nick. Hello, Michael. Hello, Phil. How you doing? Hi, Nick. What's your question or comment, Nick? My uh, my question is, what are some of the ways that we can go to that place of acceptance of our of the things that stop or our barriers that stop us from uh, uh, receiving success? Uh, the barriers, the sabotage that uh, that keeps us from from reaching our goals. What are some of the things that we can do to uh, transform our behavior? Oh my gosh, um, that's a, a huge question, Nick. Um, and and really, it's an individual thing because I don't think we all have the same issues. We all don't have the same obstacles. We don't all have the same uh, barriers, but. If there are common elements, it would have to, I would have to look at the, the, the fundamental issue of self-awareness and, and to look at what it is we really want, what it is we're trying to achieve, the level of attachment we have, we might have to, uh, what we think of as success, the illusions we might have about how happy we'll be when we get the things we think we want, um to me thinking about how to succeed and how to get what we want there's there there are practical things to look at there are you know people who know how to help people become more successful and all that i as a spiritual counselor and as a writer w- would always urge people to look at the bigger picture of what really makes us happy because sometimes the things we, 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 we start to strive for and become frustrated about not having aren't necessarily the things that will really make us happy. And, cause the, and to look at our inner state as opposed to what's outside. Right, right. Are you, are you saying that we, should, that we can be happy in our stuff now? Yes. And proceed from that point forward? Yes. There's another one of those paradoxes. That's right. In, in, in human potential, personal development, we have to amp up our desire. 
in spiritual development, many traditions say, no, desire is the problem. Well, yes, but I take exception to to the – I think it's a misunderstanding to say desire is the problem. Okay. The wrong desires are, are a problem, but the desire to be happy, the desire to be fulfilled, the desire to be enlightened, the desire to be free – these are positive desires, and it's what moves us along on the spiritual path. Other desires that we mistakenly think will make us happy, and, and the feverish attachment to achieving them. Temporal stuff. Yeah, it's like, you know, how many times have you wanted something so badly, and then you actually got it, and you had this temporary feeling of satisfaction and happiness, and within seconds or minutes or days, you're off on some the next desire. And that mm-hmm. was the fundamental insight of Buddha, that mm-hmm. the, you know, these cravings lead to suffering because they're always going to be only temporarily satisfied. Well, I've seen that distinction made with small d desire mm. for the stuff mm. and capital D desire for the spiritual non-tangible. For, right, for the, 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 good, the, the difference between desiring the, the goodies that right. will just add up to trash Impermanent eventually. Stuff. Impermanence, yeah. Yeah. things that rust, as <laughs> they say in the, yes. in the Bible. And, uh, and the enduring things that, that are the true sources of happiness. Or moth and rust doth not corrupt yeah, or some yeah. such thing. Yeah, which is, you know, working on one's inner life and one's soul. And, you know, we've all experienced moments, you know, look, anybody can look at their life and, and, and realize there are moments during the day when they might feel joy and happiness and love and other moments where they, they feel lack and they feel deprived, and they feel pain or, or unhappiness, nothing's changed. Their outer circumstances may not have changed at all. What's changed? Their, their awareness, their consciousness. What are they putting their attention on? What's the condition of their nervous system? I can relate to that. Nick, thanks for calling, bud. You're welcome. I, uh, years ago, had a wonderful therapist, so effective that every week when I drove to his office, I was terrified. I was white knuckling <laughs> it. I'm, I'm nauseous. My stomach's up and my, it's like, oh, why am I do? And then an hour later, suddenly everybody's happy and colors are brighter and people walking down the street <laughs> and riding. And it's like the whole world changed. And of course, the only thing that changed was, was the, your inner state. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Your consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And week after week, that same. And it's a lesson we all have to learn yeah. over and over again because we always look at the outer circumstance and think, if only I'd change that, yeah. or if only I had a better job, if only I had more money, if only I had a bigger house, then I'll be happy. Yeah. And no matter how many times that turns out not to be true, <laughs> we still believe it. Yeah. Perception is reality. Yeah. In fact, one of your road <laughs> signs, isn't it, the map is not the territory, or you say it? Um, something similar. like that, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Let's go to Steve in Venice. You're on KPFK. It's Intervision, Steve, with Phil Goldberg. How you doing? Yes. You said Steve in Venice? Yes, sir. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, yeah, I always want to try and communicate with, with you folks, but it's difficult. Uh, to me, it's a matter of language. It strikes me that uh, the other day I heard George Carlin uh, say an amazing remark, saying that he put spiritualism on the list of seven words you can't say on the radio, and not because it's nasty or terrible or anything like that, but it's 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 totally confusing and and um, for me, of course, it, it's thoroughly dualistic. There is no.
spirit without form and vice versa. So that mm-hmm. what we're talking about is a synthesis here. Another paradox. Well, no, it isn't a paradox. It's, unless you regard it as one. Well, the perception simply, is that it is. Did well, you hear no, us just go through this? Or, I mean, what was that? Did you hear us go through Hegel and synthesis and paradox? And we... Well, yes, that, that's all fine. So why okay. don't you put it in those terms as opposed to something that is connected to archaic thinking and archaic religion? It strikes me that what used to be described as, uh, you know, the spiritual and the mystical and the divine and all these words that get people religious about things so to, to the point where they want to destroy somebody else's idea because they got their fresh one, it strikes me that, that, that it, you know, that it's, it, it, it's a resolution of a kind of dualism, that, that what we need here of, of language that what was appreciated as, as the divine or the spiritual before is now appreciated as the poetic, the human poetic, without a system of divinity, without a system of hierarchy that involves a kind of a, 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 a you know, infinitely defi- definable spirit. So-called spirit runs out of its own language and has to become poetic. And it strikes me that this is what we should be talking mm. about. Metaphorically. Using you terms that, that are, I've already been co-opted by, you know, murderous religion. So. Well, poetic could be co-opted as well. But if you're happy, you're welcome to use whatever language you want. And I, you know, and I think that's uh, well, terrific. Course, you know, and, and, and I think that's part of what we're all groping for now is, is a, a new language to express some of these things because so many of the uh, terms we're familiar with can be easily misconstrued. I, I agree with you in that sense. Well, great then. Yeah, it, it is about language, and I, I think that, that in, in the case of, of spirituality, um, it, it strikes me as an old argument, something that was uh, resolved as long ago as the 20s and 30s when, when, when for example, the, the so-called surrealist movement by putting uh, so much emphasis and actually the whole weight on the human imagination, that it is the human imagination that has created all these gods, spirits, divinity, etc., not vice versa. Well, wait a sec. And, uh, so <laughs> imagination is pretty complex. Phil's written a book about intuition. If we did another show on intuition, and maybe we should. No, wait, I, I, I said imagination, not intuition. I know what you said. Oh, I'm okay. saying one of the functions, one of the many, many functions of what you're calling imagination yeah. Imagination can be a synonym for the whole subconscious mind. And intuition, memory is a function of imagination. You can't remember, you can't remember something without imagining that you remember it. So let's not demean imagination. No, 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 wait, hold on. I'm, I'm not demeaning imagination. I'm putting it where everyone else wants to put spirituality and authority. Why? Well, because it's, it's a fine replacement, and it's non-authoritarian. Why and, do what and, everybody else well, is but, doing? But imagination it, has... It also has an infinite capacity. <laughs> yes. Sure. Its capacity is even more infinite <laughs> than spirituality because it created spirituality. Well, you could say that. You could say spirit created imagination. Exactly. Well, you can, but then you've you really got a, a very old uh, a kettle of fish. You know? Well, but imagination is an easily misunderstood term, too, isn't it? Just your imagination. Well, perhaps it is. <laughs> yes. but, but it's... But it's not, it, to my mind, it's not misunderstood the way spirit can be. You know what's missing? It resolves that dualism. You know what's missing here, and perhaps just because mm-hmm. you haven't gotten around to it, is the experience that comes with introspection, contemplation, and meditation. Uh, oh, please, you know, don't, don't, please, don't, don't. It seems to me that, that you're coming from a very cerebral and cognitive place, which in and of itself is a beautiful thing, but 
there is an experiential aspect. Yes, and that's the collective consciousness, isn't it? When you get back out there in the world after you've found yourself and done all this stuff with yourself, like they've been talking about for 30 years, that, oh, yeah, now that I've done that, that was page one, and the rest of the thousand pages are about the collective uh, you know, sense of sensibilities, which are never spoken of. It's always you, you, and you'll find yourself, and you've got your path and your little this. Well, I wouldn't Strike say me never. That, that is the that is what you need to do to really become. Well, look, uh, uh, Steve. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. We have to go soon, obviously. Yeah, no, but not. but I I, I want to credit you for pointing us toward that which transcends duality yeah and that which uh transcends language, language right. and yeah. that which transcends concepts mm-hmm. because ultimately that's what we're all aiming to do well, and that uh, and that which uh, that which transcends the individual yeah. growth to the yeah. collective good yeah. all of these things are things we need to all address transcendence is loaded also but um well we can let it go at that <laughs> I, I appreciate your time and and your discussion thanks for Thank the you. appreciate the call take care anytime kpfk and your radio 90.7 fm phil you're doing a workshop next I week am. out in westlake you want to tell us about a that? week from sunday i'll be at the westlake church of Religious Science at uh, 880 Hampshire Road. The phone number to call for information is 805-495-0105. The workshop's going to be from 1230 to 330. It's cheap, 35 bucks or 30 in advance. And that number, 805-495-0105, we'll be talking about the spiritual path and helping people take their next steps of uh, growth and development and deepening. And Road Signs is at your local bookseller? I would hope so. It's certainly online. You get good distribution on this is the new paperback. New version. paperback, Road Signs on the Spiritual Path. And although we go back a few years for the Intuitive Edge, uh, this is also Also so just out in paperback again. That's for, wonderful. Back yeah. in print. Back in print. And I'm on, my only regret is we didn't get a chance to talk about intuition, the... Um, I had a teacher that used to call this the rain cloud of knowable things, and I've always been fascinated. I love by, that. Yeah, isn't that nice? By where do these full-blown ideas come from yeah. that we don't gestate, they just boing, 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 and can we promote that? Maybe another time. Another we'll time. That. Both wonderful books, gang. Put these on your shelf. These will be among your favorites. Road Signs on the Spiritual Path, Living at the Heart of Paradox and the Intuitive Edge, both by my guest today, Philip Goldberg. Phil, thanks again. Thank you, Michael. Great you to be website, with you. Uh, yes, www.philipwith1lgoldberg.com. Philipgoldberg.com. Thanks very much. D'Angelo, thanks for engineering, as always, Brooks, for producing the radio program today, my wife, Doreen, for all her invaluable help, and, of course, to each of you for taking the time and effort to tune in to this radio station to support us with your donations and pledges.